guitar people, welcome to Have Guitar Will Travel, presented by Vintage Guitar Magazine, with your host, me, James Patrick Regan, otherwise known as Jimmy from the Deadlies, and today I'm speaking with acoustic maverick Martin Simpson. In our conversation, we cover Martin's new record, which includes songs gathered during the First World War in Appalachia, written by two women from Morgan County, West Virginia, played by Martin and guitarist Tom Jutz, and a host of vocalists. We discuss his time playing on Prairie Home Companion, and we talk about his home in Sheffield, UK. We cover his current touring schedule, and Martin discusses his tunings. We talk about his early influences, Paul Robeson, Marty Robbins, and his brother's record collection. And we discuss Martin's guitar collection, including a Harmony Sovereign, an old Martin Arshtop that's been converted to a flat top, and guitars from various small luthiers. You can find out more about Martin at his website, martinsimpson.com. That's M-A-R-T-I-N-S-I-M-P-S-O-N.com. Please like, comment, and most of all, share this podcast. I'd really appreciate it. And please support Vintage Guitar Magazine and all the wonderful things you do for us guitar players because they do so many wonderful things for us guitar players. Here's Martin. Hi there, Martin. Uh (laughs) Aha. Can you hear me okay? I hear you just fine. Okay, James. Thank you so much. Here we are then. Yes. Well, it's nice to meet you uh, via the Zoom. <laughs> Indeed. You too. You too. <laughs> Thank you very much. How are you doing? I'm, I'm good. Yeah. I mean, sort of. Uh, um, I'm. I'm super busy. I'm good. really, really busy. Good. Which is good. Yeah. Um, but it's sometimes it's a bit, a bit perplexing. You know. So, uh, there's, there seems to be. I mean, I'm just. I'm just finishing another record, which oh, is wow. my next record. Okay. And I've just got um, the mixes, the first mixes. And I was thinking, well, this sounds great. And it it, it does. Uh-huh. It, it, it's, it's instrumentally, I'm so excited about sure. it. But then I'm listening to the mixes and going, where is my voice? <laughs> <laughs> you know, so, so I was just... Uh, it's just one of those things that happens in the process of making a record. Is of making a record is that you think, you know, you do them and you go, actually, you know what? That's really not very good. The music's great, sure, but it's just not. It's the mixes, and so it's sort of uh, it's, it's thrown me for a little bit of a loop. But that's okay. <laughs> You've played on Prairie Home Companion before. Yeah, yeah, several times. Yeah, yeah I think that's where I first came, became um, aware of you and your guitar playing, and it fascinated me. It, it definitely fascinated me, and I, and I'm assuming that you play mostly in open tunings. But I uh, do. Yeah, and uh, and that it's just it. I don't think you could play. I mean, you sing very well, but I don't think you could play anything on guitar that didn't sound timeless. Well, thank you. That's a lovely thing to say. I'll take that. <laughs> okay, it's the truth. It's the truth. And, uh, you know, it made me want to explore opening open tunings uh, when, you know, however many years that was that I, I had heard you the first time. Yeah. That was a long time ago. That was 25, 20, you know, at least 25 years ago. Yeah. So. yeah. <laughs> it's a funny thing, you know, somebody... Uh, some young man at a gig recently said, so how long have you been playing the guitar? Because he was, you know, really excited about the whole concept. And I, I thought for a minute, and it actually shocked me. I said, well, 58 years. Wow. You know, and he went, wow. <laughs> <laughs> a long time. A long time. Yeah, but you, you, seem, you seem very youthful in your spirit. 
still. I yeah. Well, I mean, I love what I do. I just, I completely love what I do. I'm absolutely uh, as passionate, if not more passionate, about getting it. You know, get getting the communication across. That's what I really. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm, I'm. I'm enjoying playing probably more than I ever have. Oh wow, that's great! You know, but it's but it's just it's just trying to keep it all ramped up. You know, sure. Keep it all up to the standard, and more. Yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so you live in you you're living in England, I'm assuming. Yeah, I live in Sheffield. Sheffield, right in the middle of England. Yeah. Okay. How far from London is is Sheffield? For um, us, for us Americans. on the tr- on the train it's two hours okay in a car it's three hours you know wow. it's it's no distance really it's uh you know it's it, i mean not nothing nothing over here is any distance compared to the u.s you know? <laughs> and how many date how many days do you spend in a year in a normal year how many dates do you spend on tour well uh, that's all changed recently it i was doing 120 gigs a year wow. which you know i mean that's that means being away a lot uh-huh. um and i had decided that what i wanted to do was to to cut back a bit sort uh-huh. of do do fewer yeah better gigs uh-huh. and then of course what happened was lockdown you know yeah. the covid <laughs> pandemic and so You've got to be very careful what you ask for in life, I think, John. <laughs> and and so so for instance to this year, the twenty twenty three, how many dates do you think you'll do total? Um probably eighty. Okay. Some eighty. So still yeah. quite a bit. Oh yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that- yeah, no, I and I I don't want I have no intention whatsoever. Of, of playing less uh-huh. you know i just want to do it in a different way i don't want to be i don't want to be constantly traveling yeah because it gets harder and harder to travel to be honest exactly you know the roads are, the roads are so overly busy yes. it's insane so, everywhere <laughs> yeah well, yeah it is it's true and, and i don't want to contribute to uh to the extinction of the world either by you know no, 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 being no. stuck in traffic so and, and of those 80 dates how many will be in the u.s very few okay. at the moment yeah i mean i you know i've been across like last july i came over and i did um i did richard thompson's guitar camp in upstate new york okay and then i then i went down to nashville and recorded the album uh, the album with Tom, you know, yeah. which was, and then we came over here and finished it over here. Okay, and that's just been a joy. It's been a total joy. Yeah, that and and the album, which is nothing but green willow, is that it correct? Is. Yeah, that, and so it's the songs of of two ladies. How did it come about? Well, Tom Tom Utes is a a, a very very clever human being and a very fine musician let me just shut this door because my little dog is downstairs uh, I, yapping her brains out i understand and it's i also have driving dogs. me nuts <laughs> <laughs> i also have dogs who knows 
to James, whether that will work. Okay, so, yeah, um, Tom, Tom had this idea. He's been fascinated with the fact of, you know, this, this English song collector, Cecil Sharp, uh-huh. who went to the Appalachians during, during the First World War. Okay. Um, and he, he collected a massive number of songs, um, and, and it's, it, I mean, the story's amazing. He was, you know, he was not a young man. He was not a well man. Oh, wow. And he, he was traveling with, um, with his female assistant, um, Maud Carpolese, through a very, you know, undeveloped part of the U.S. I mean, he was traveling through, he was traveling through places where there were no roads, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> you know, at times. And, having to cross streams on on logs which were just laying from bank to bank you wow. know and uh, so so the whole, whole concept of this guy going and doing this work is fascinating anyway uh-huh. but um tom just became really really interested in the fact that he found these two women in hot springs north carolina madison county north carolina and between them they contributed you know, more than a hundred songs to this collection. Wow. Really, really great, great material. Uh-huh. And he thought it would be wonderful to to make a record just of the material that those women had uh, contributed to Sharp's collection. Uh-huh. But we talked about it, um, and the way we decided to do it, which is, when I think about it, it's really quite risky, actually. We each picked six songs from the collection. Okay. And we each picked five singers, and then a, you know a song for a song for each of us, uh-huh. and five singers to do five songs. So, uh-huh. um, then we assigned the songs to the singers, and we decided that we would keep it very simple in terms of the instrumentation and mostly what it would be would be guitar duets yeah and <laughs> what was really funny is that we never we'd never met and we'd never played together oh, wow. at all wow so he picked he picked me up i'd come down from this workshop in new york uh-huh. he picked me up at the airport in nashville took me to the hotel dropped me off and then we went to his studio and basically sat down and looked at each other and went well, okay, what are we going to do, you know? And the, the very first thing that we did was um, the track uh, The Gypsy Laddies, which is um, it's one of Tom's songs that he sings. Uh-huh. And he, it just immediately, it clicked. And it's the fact of, I mean, in a way, it's because our styles are so very disparate, uh-huh. you know, because I'm playing, he's playing in standard tuning with a flat pick. Yeah. Beautiful very fluidly very creatively and i'm playing in my open tunings with my fingers you know yeah. <laughs> and uh and, and we just played this one song and after about five minutes we looked at each other and just went we can do this we can absolutely do this wow so we just practiced an, another one which was um uh, the Wagoner's Lad, which was one of the song that I was going to sing, uh-huh. which I I basically worked out a guitar part, which was very much influenced by a banjo player called Buell Kazee. Okay. And uh, and I play I played that, and he just went, 
got it. And he, he went, it's just really fun because he went and got this big old Epiphone arch top, which used to belong to Norman Blake. Oh, no wow. bad thing there. Yeah. 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 And, and he just played a, an, a, an extraordinarily simple part uh-huh. on this guitar which because it's an arch top with a you know floating bridge and a tailpiece it sounds like it's got some really fancy reverb on it but it doesn't at all it's uh, just the sound of that instrument you know wow and so we, we basically we knew we, it was going to work we knew we were going to have fun uh-huh. but what, what would happen then is the singers would come in and we would just sit them down get them to sing to us, having established what key it was going to be in. Yeah. I mean, that's how, you know, we, the singers were like, oh, in, you know, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> in some cases, they really hadn't decided what key they wanted it to be in. So, But we, we would sit and listen to them and work out an accompaniment and do it. Yeah. Bang. And nothing took longer than two hours. Wow. In terms of going from, you know, scratch to having a final performance yeah and, and it was lovely really enjoyable yeah how did you choose the tuning that would you would use for each song um well that, that's a lot related to the keys sure you know so um but i i mean i i generally work in c and g tunings okay so um so for instance if if there's a song in b flat I'm probably going to work in a G tuning and capo it to the third fret. You okay. know? Um, sometimes, I mean, because, I mean, having said, you know, I work in C and G tunings, they will mostly be um, suspended tunings. So sure. one of the tunings I use a lot is C, G, C, G, C, D. Okay. Which is basically a suspended second. Yeah, you know? exactly. Um, but I might... Um, depending on on the nature of the tune, I might not use that one. I might use um, C sus four add nine, which is C G C F C D. Okay. So you know the bottom four strings are basically the same intervals as drop D yeah. or dadgad. Yeah, yeah. And then you've got you've got an extra root on the second string and then this lovely suspension on the top. So it's a double suspension, that tuning. Yeah. And that, you know, that, you know, it could be from C way up to quite, yeah, you know, I mean, really quite high. If you, if you want to, you can capo a tuning like that way up the neck. Yeah. Changes the nature of the instrument <laughs> almost. You know? Yeah. How did, um, when did you come up with, when, I should say, when did you start uh, using open tunings rather than standard tuning did you did you learn in open tunings um i started playing the guitar when i was 12 uh-huh. at, at which point um it you know it was a a cheap classical guitar with nylon strings and uh, it didn't occur to me to start with to retune it but then when i was 13 I got a banjo, okay, a five-string banjo, and the five-string banjo is really, for me, it's the progenitor of almost all the tunings I use on the guitar. So if I think I've come up with something, you know, really, really original and cool on the guitar, I generally find 
but it already exists on the five-string banjo. Uh-huh. So, so <laughs> the five-string banjo jump-started the idea of playing in different tunings. Okay. But then I got a steel string guitar, you know, 18 months in or something like that, at which point I was, I mean, I was fascinated with playing the blues as well as anything else. Uh-huh. And of course, open G major, open D major were obvious places to go. Mm-hmm. If you're going to play slide blues, you're going to work in, you know, D and G really. Sure. But then the banjo was already saying to me, well, why don't you, why don't you raise that? you know the the major third in that tuning so for instance on a banjo you know you get what what used to be called mountain minor tuning which it isn't a minor at all <laughs> it's a suspended fourth so it's g d g c d right yeah well that's actually a suspended fourth which you can translate immediately onto the guitar, so it becomes D G D G C D on uh-huh. the guitar. But it's also completely parallel to Dadgad, which is root fifth, root fourth. Uh-huh. So you know you have root fifth, root fourth starting on the bass string in Dadgad. When you get to the G tuning, you have root fifth, root fourth starting on the fifth string. So all these things, they all related, and I just. I just got very excited uh-huh. about the idea that there were all these different ways to play and that, I mean, I, I always hated playing bar chords. You know, I always say to people, <laughs> why do you think that's called the F chord? It's obvious to me. <laughs> um, and when you, play, when you play in open tunings, the, the clues in the name, you know, the open strings are giving you such support. Yeah such richness of tone and harmonization and and a lot of the cording is it you know it's two fingers it's very simple cording yeah but it works you know? <laughs> and, and I, honestly I, i'm not be, i'm not being silly but i want to make i want to make playing as easy as i possibly can because if i make it easy i can make it musical yeah yep yeah yeah and who were you listening to when you were when you were coming up when you were when you were 12 years old who what was what struck your fancy well um i was very lucky and i had two elder brothers okay who filled the house with music but interestingly um the first people that really moved me were actually black american singers so the the first singer that i can remember hearing and going Oh, oh! What is that? Uh, was Paul Robeson singing spirituals? Uh-huh. You know, yep. and I can. Uh, that would be four years old. You know, and my mother had seventy-eights of Paul Robeson. Oh wow! Uh, who, of course, was a massively contentious figure in the U.S. because because of his political views. And, yeah. But he was brilliant. You know, um, so I heard him sing. Uh, sometimes I feel like a motherless child when I was about four years old. Wow! And and just went. Okay, I don't understand how I'm feeling so much because this guy's singing, and I'm feeling it. And I remember struggling to understand, to come to terms with the fact that it made me really sad 
but I really liked it. So it was melancholy, sure. you know, it was absolutely melancholy and beautiful. And so I actually, I wanted to be a singer before anything else. I'm, ju I'm just looking at my phone because I want to show you, um, I want to show you a photograph. Um, after I finished this Zoom call, I'm going to go down to to join my wife and some friends at the, at the club, which is down the road. Okay. Uh, and, and last time I was there, the subject of Paul Robeson came up in conversation. And Robeson was a hero in this country because of his support for the unions, you know. Uh -huh. And one of the ladies in the group said, oh, my grandmother um, was Paul Robeson's wife's pen pal. Wow. And and he came over to Sheffield and they met. So this is Oh wow. Paul Paul Robeson and my friend Jill's grandma. Wow. Isn't that a fantastic picture? That's great. That is fantastic. I mean, <laughs> he was a huge man. Yeah. And he was he was a tiny woman. But yeah, so that was the you know, that was the beginning. Um, but then by the time I was, you know, 10, uh -huh. um, my brothers were collecting blues records and jazz records, um, rock and roll. You know, my, my elder brother who's 12 years older than me. When I was three years old, he was listening to Jerry Lee Lewis and Little Richard and wow. stuff like that on 78, uh -huh. you know. And um, but I absolutely fell in love with songs that, that told stories so marty robbins you know singing gunfighter ballads and trail songs and stuff like that yeah and and joan byers singing the big old british ballads uh -huh. but at the same time i was listening to um acoustic blues music and uh and and old-timey music you know yeah so want wanting to to play like Earl Scruggs, you know, which, <laughs> which on the banjo, which which was a dead end because trying to play bluegrass banjo without without a band going, mm -ching, mm -ching, mm -ching, yeah. is, you know, there's no future. So I learned to play other things yeah. on the banjo. But but the guitar for me, you know, I mean, when I first heard slide guitar, my head exploded. I think, and I went, I must. I must have this, you know. So that's one of the one of the ways that open tunings just became a second nature sure. because in order to play slide guitar, that's where you have to go. You yeah. Know? And and when you were when you were young, what was your first guitar? Your the first guitar you were using? The very first guitar that I had was branded Antoria, but it was made in the Czech Republic and it was a classical guitar. Okay. It wasn't, it wasn't bad, you know. But the very first steel-strung guitar that I ever got was a Harmony Sovereign. Okay. And a big Harmony Sovereign, you yeah. know, the jumbo job. And I actually, um, my father-in-law, Roy Bailey, who was a folk singer, he, he died um, five years ago now, and he left me his Harmony Sovereign. Oh, wow. So I, I have, you know, in my... In my assemblage of guitars, uh -huh. I have the first steel string guitar, you know, that I ever got, really, uh -huh. and it's really, it's great. 
they're good guitars. They're nice guitars. Oh, yeah, of course. Of course. I yeah. mean, how many, how many hundreds of thousands of people uh, started on Harmony Sovereign? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, if you, if, you, if you look at certain periods, I mean, you look at, you know, you look at who was playing what at Woodstock, and you've got John Sebastian and Tim Hardin playing Harmony Sovereigns, and um, Jimmy Page played Harmony Sovereign on a lot of those early Led Zeppelin records, you know. Yeah. So, yeah, good guitars. <laughs> the, um, going to the future, how many? How large is your guitar collection currently? Um, it's pretty large. I mean, it's funny because my next door neighbor here in Sheffield uh -huh. is is Richard Hawley, who is a basically a rock and roll star, you know, uh -huh. and he has. He, he's great for me because I don't I don't have anything like as many guitars as Richard has. <laughs> it's great. I can buy another guitar. Richard's got hundreds. You know. I probably uh, I don't know. I've I've probably got about I've got between forty and fifty instruments. Okay. Um, and that's divided between banjos and acoustic guitars. Yeah, that's, and, that's reasonable. And, uh, yeah, I think it is, yeah. <laughs> and there's a few electrics in there as well, you know. So, uh -huh. But, I mean, obviously acoustic guitars are the kind of core of, of what I do. Yeah. You know? And uh, do you have any Gibsons or Martins in the collection, or is it all uh, independent makers, so to speak? I actually... I've. Um, I have recently acquired a really cool old Martin, and it's 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 just got such a great story to it, uh, and it's worth relating. Um, this guitar came up. Um, a friend of mine, an American guy called Tony Wernicke, has a, a shop in the south of England called Replay Acoustics. Okay, and he has, it's vintage American, really good stuff, you know. And this came up on his website, and it said, 1936, retopped C2 OM42 style. Wow. Retopped by TJ Thompson. And I went, oh, my God. <laughs> TJ is an old friend of mine. Uh -huh. I always wanted some of his work, you know. Uh -huh. So basically, the story of this guitar is, is fantastic. It was brought by a rag and bone man. Are you familiar with the concept of a rag and bone man? No. It's a guy, guy who goes around the streets. Um, when I was a kid, you'd hear this voice going, rag bone, rag bone. <laughs> and this guy would come around and he would collect. He was, he was a recycler, basically. Uh, okay. And somewhere on his travels, he, he picked up a 1936 Martin C2, which was an arch-top guitar with a round hole. Okay. And the head the head had been broken off on it, basically. Okay. And he got it, you know, from somebody's <laughs> house. And he took it to, um, to a well-known dealer in Chelsea in London. And he obviously fixed the headstock. But it remained as... And, and it was bought in 1972 by a man called Mike Jock, who is a professional guitar player. He has some unbelievably great instruments, uh -huh. you know, really ridiculously great instruments. 
and and he bought it in 1972 and in 2003 he took it to the states and he had tj thompson rebuild it with a flat top it's just in the next room i'll get it okay. it's, it's really it's worth looking at sure <laughs> so here we are it is oh wow it's just hang that, on that is gorgeous it really is gorgeous. I mean, the thing about it is, because it was originally an arch top, the the back is actually more arched uh -huh. than the regular Martin guitar. You yeah, know? it's more of a yeah a curve. I to see it. it. <laughs> and one of the other things that I love about it is the fact that it has that headstock, oh, which yeah. is just. You know, yeah, as uh, I always wanted a guitar with my name on it, you know? <laughs> <laughs> but it's just—it's a great guitar. Yeah, the has Martin ever um, Martin guitars? Have they ever made a Martin Simpson model? No, actually, I um, Dick Boke. Yeah, uh, I can see him reaching in. out to you. <laughs> He's a great friend. Uh, in fact, this. Um, let me just put this down. Sure. Not a lot of people know this, but um, I did actually play um, for Martin because of Dick on a number of occasions. Okay. And uh, Dick's always just been incredibly supportive. And at one point, if, if you called the Martin factory and they put you on hold, the hold music was me what? playing a sober guitar, which <laughs> I think is hilarious. Yeah, that's great. I think Dick ever told anybody, you know, that I wasn't playing a Martin. <laughs> yeah. And and some of the small makers that that of guitars that you collect. Um, oh yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I have. Um, I I got when I was a kid. Um, I you know I horse traded guitars and you know I had a. a a Gibson J45, and then I, I traded that um, for a triple O eighteen Martin, a new one, uh -huh. in the, in the early seventies, you know, okay. and that guitar was stolen, um, and I ended up, I ended up for a while, I got an Epiphone Texan to replace it, but at the same time, I'd seen the work of a, an English builder called Peter Abnett, uh, A B N E double T. And his work was amazing, and I thought, well, you know what? I'm, I think this this guy could make me a better guitar than I can buy, sure. and so I got I got him to make me what was effectively his version of of that Martin. You know, okay. it was like an OM. Yeah. And I played that um, from nineteen probably nineteen seventy four to nineteen. 86 round about then wow. but at the same time i was finding other builders you know uh -huh. um and other makers and over the years i've i mean stefan sobel is one of the main guys that i've worked with and stefan is amazing because he just really he wasn't content with making guitars like other people made guitars you know so he's he he would build in 
arches into his instruments like that as an arched back. Yeah. He would do that with the top of a guitar. Wow. And uh, end up with an incredibly dynamic guitar, you know. Yeah. And working with people like Stefan over the years, I, and it's in, it's informed my playing, you know. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I played a lot of vintage American instruments and couldn't get out of them uh -huh. what I wanted. Sure. You know, because I got used to playing instruments that these guys who were really pushing the envelope, you know. Yeah. So now, I mean, I've got, you know, I've got PRS guitars, which are PRS acoustics, which are amazing. Yeah. Um, and f there's a company over here called Filed, F-Y-L-D-E. Uh -huh. And they make extraordinary guitars you know and the thing about guitar makers is a lot of them they want you to say do me something different yeah oh know? yeah because they, they don't want to be you know doing another one of those that they you know i mean some of some of them do some of them like it some of them are very comfortable we do this this is what we do yeah but then you know i i'm very attracted to people who go you want what? <laughs> you know. Okay, let's have a go at that. You know, yeah. and then I, when I was a kid, you know, I might have tried to give builders a lot of information, but now I know better than to do that because yeah. I know that if I just give them enough information and let them go, yeah, you know, what I'm likely to end up with is astonishing. Sure, and and so. You know, I, the guitar that I use on stage 95% of the time now is made by um, a company called Taran, T-A-R-A-N, uh -huh. which is actually basically Rory Dowling and an assistant. Okay. And he's in Scotland. He, he, you should look look up Taran guitars. Okay. I, I mean, <laughs> phenomenal phenomenal instruments you know and i've just recently acquired a guitar made by an american builder from north dakota called kevin Miderman, which is m-u-i-d-e-r-m-a-n wow. kevin Miderman. okay again you know a guy who's really pushing the envelope these are not like these are not guitars as we know them, Jim. Uh, <laughs> it's that kind of, yeah. and is there a scale oh, scale length that you prefer, or, or, or is there different scale lengths depending on the guitar? There, there are different scale lengths, but I do incline towards longer rather than shorter okay. scale length. Yeah. yeah I like, mean, like the Martins. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Well. I mean, in Martins, you know, the 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 OM scale length is is pretty damn good i think but then you know stefan sobel always built them a bit longer than that okay so you know <laughs> that works for me okay and of course because i'm tuning down so much of the time you know it's really good to have to have that scale length the the taran guitar that i play um is a fan fret but it's not extreme okay you know but it means the bass strings are really quite a bit longer than usual yeah. and that works works great it works great for balance it works great for intonation so it's an interesting business do you have to get custom strings for for the different guitars or is there a standard string set that you use 
No, there isn't a standard string set. (laughs) Over the years, um, I mean, I used to use medium sets, Uh uh, but put a 15 on the top for playing slide. Bear in mind, you know, I'm not playing in standard tuning with a set like that. Sure. But over the last few years, what I've started to do is make up my own sets, which are a 56 in the bass, which is medium gauge, sure, you know. yeah. and then 42, 32, 24, which is lights, yeah. and then 17 and 13, which is medium again. Yeah. And that, to me, that set works really well. And there's a number of reasons why it works. One is having the, the medium gauge top strings, when you're playing slide, Obviously, you need that resistance. Yeah. You need that tension. Um, and because you've got that tension on the top two strings, you you don't actually have to have as much weight in those middle strings. So you can have you know a, a lighter a lighter feel on the middle strings, which allows you to express a lot yeah. on the middle string. Well, yeah. You know, without without hurting yourself <laughs> exactly that's, uh, <laughs> that's my regular set and i've just ordered you know a, a, i mean a box just arrived from didario which is about this big wow you know? okay Lesson. yeah <laughs> and and is do you mic the guitars when you're playing live or do you is there a pickup inside no i have actually um i used to use highlander highlander guitar pickups in everything which is uh under saddle coaxial transducer okay um and then i would i tied those to a mcintyre feather on the bridge plate because i found that if you had the the highlander on its own i mean it's fantastic sound but having the additional sense of distance yeah really gave it you know more of the feel of an acoustic instrument and then highlander basically um holly martino retired she said don't want to do it anymore yeah and it was during lockdown so it meant that i think she would have probably sold the company had it been any other time yeah but that didn't work um because it was locked down nobody would buy you know so i ended up with a very few of the last pickups that she made and what I do now is I have a K and K system, yeah. but I also put um, an under saddle transducer in it. Okay. So I'm actually the the guitar that the, the Taron um, has a K and K Trinity, which is the three dots and the microphone and the under saddle transducer. Yeah. And it's an incredible sound. It okay. really is. Very good. Yeah. Are you coming? Well, to, you know, are you coming to the U.S. anytime soon? I I haven't got anything in the book at the moment, but I, I'm trying to figure it out. So the answer is, I sincerely hope so. Yeah. Um, but you know, if you want to email me some questions as well, you can do that. Okay. If there's anything that you feel would be helpful to have some additional input, you know. Yeah. Well, I appreciate that, Martin. And it's been one. It's been lovely talking to you. Thank you. It's been lovely talking to you. Thanks for thanks for being interested. Oh, yeah. You know? Very so, interesting. <laughs> good. Well, send me some further questions, and we'll keep it going. Okay. okay. And it, 
and if we need if we need to zoom again we can zoom again okay you know, so. very good sir all right thank you james Bob. thank you it's my pleasure bye bye okay bye Thanks for listening to Have Guitar Will Travel. You can catch up on all the things I'm doing at thedeadlies.com. And I'm on all the social media platforms as well. And please support Vintage Guitar and all the wonderful things they do because they do many, many wonderful things for us guitar players. Thanks. Please subscribe. Please tell a friend. And I'll see you guys next week. Bye, guys.